This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فويل للذين يكتبون الكتاب بأيديهم ثم يقولون هذا من عند الله ليشتروا به ثمنا قليلا فويل لهم مما كتبت أيديهم وويل لهم مما يكسبون وقالوا لن تمسنا النار إلا أياما معدودة قل أتخذتم عند الله عهدا فلن يخلف الله عهده أم تقولون على الله ما لا تعلمون بلى من كسب سيئة وأحاطت به خطيئته فأولئك أصحاب النار هم فيها خالدون والذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات أولئك أصحاب الجنة هم فيها خالدون رب شحن صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه اجمعين ثم ما بعد من سجن ببري السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته I would like to first of all thank uh, the audience in front of me live and also the people online uh, that supported this cause from all over the world. The amount of support that we've received has actually been quite overwhelming. Alhamdulillah, over the course of the month of Ramadan, we are over 70, almost 77% of our goals have been met uh, in terms of raising the funds for this project, inshallah ta'ala. And for all of those that did support my personal du'as and the du'as of our entire team, inshallah ta'ala are with you and I'd like to remind you that the work that we do is so noble and that you all become a part of it in that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says addallu alal khayri kafa'ilihi the one who points to something good is like the one doing it themselves so everybody has a hand and anybody receives a good message and something in their life changes and a series of good acts, deeds, you know, events that take place in their life and they become a spreader of good you have a part in that and this is such a noble thing to be a part of because you and I, you know, all of us know that our deeds alone, our personal deeds alone are not enough. They're not nearly enough before Allah Azza wa Jal. On that account, we need the mercy of Allah and we can need all the help that we can get. And so this is a way in which I and you, all of us, we share in this work. And it, on that note, I do want to remind you that the people who teach, like myself, and alhamdulillah, much better people qualified than myself, that teach or try to remind and give a talk and things like that, they may be in a position of prominence. Like people see us, right? They see us on a camera, they see us online, you see me in a crowd. Uh, and then the people who support us from behind the scenes are invisible. Like people don't know who they are. But they're not invisible to Allah. And at the end of the day, when we stand before Allah Azza wa Jalla on Judgment Day, then it's not like the people who are famous are in the front row. 
It's actually the people who sincerely served Allah's deen. You know, and then that the true value of everything that we contributed in whatever way, in our effort, financially, time-wise, you know, mental capacity, physical capacity, whatever we, we sacrificed for the sake of this deen. Rather, I shouldn't even say sacrifice, but we invested for the sake of this deen. We'll see that return on investment. So my encouragement to all of you, inshallah, in these last few days is to you know, also share this, this project with family and friends, get the word out, so inshallah ta'ala we can close up this gap. And uh, once again, really truly very, very grateful and make dua for all of you and your families that Allah Azza shows you the return on this, uh, this good cause that you've supported in this life and in the next. فَوَيْلٌ لِلَّذِينَ يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا We're moving on to ayah number 88. And here Allah Azza wa Jal is describing the third and probably the most significant of the crimes that the Israelites have done in regards to the book. Just to put this in context a little bit, the two ayat that we read before this both had to do with the book. So the first one was, أَفَتَطْمَعُونَ أَن يُؤْمِنُوا لَكُمْ وَقَدْ كَانَ فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمْ يَسْمَعُونَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ Are you seriously hopeful they'll accept what you're saying while a group among them used to hear the word of Allah, used to hear the speech of Allah and they used to change it anyway, even after they had understood it. So that was the first crime, people, the scholars among them that we talked about, that used to hear the word of Allah and change it, not present what was actually there. وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ And they well knew what they were doing. And they were the only ones that knew. So it's not like anybody else could come and correct them also. And that's one of the other benefits of وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ The second group of people mentioned were people who don't even know what the book says. وَمِنْهُمْ أُمِّيُّونَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا مَانِي among them are the, un, the, the common masses, uneducated in religion, who don't know the book except their own wishful thoughts. What they, what they imagine is in the book is what they assume is in the book. وَإِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَظُنُّونَ And they do nothing but make assumptions. And on that note, uh, two things that I want to bring to your attention that I didn't yesterday before I move on to this ayah, inshallah, is about, about that ayah, uh, you know, that they, they, they know the book, but they, you know, they don't know the book except their own wishful thoughts. Ibn Abbas said something very scary about that ayah. He was asked about that ayah, what does amani mean? And amani, and actually in the San al-Arab, I checked this also, in Ibn Manzur's the San al-Arab, one of the meanings of amani is actually tilawa. Umniya actually comes in the meaning of recitation also. So in that sense, they say actually mana bil kitab, or mana al kitab, meaning he read the book from the same root origin. So Ibn Abbas looks at this meaning, which I translated as wishful thinking, and he finds more compelling to look at it as reading. They have reduced, they don't know their book at all, except for mindless reading. يَعْلَمُونَهُ حِفْظًا وَقِرَاءَةً بِلَا فَهْم They know it in only two ways. They recite some parts of it, they memorize some parts of it, without understanding any of it. لَا يَدْرُونَ مَا فِيهَا They don't have a clue what's in it. In other words, their relationship with their book became that of a ritual. When I first heard that, this must have been 15 years ago, the, the hair on my skin rose. Because I come from a part of the world, Southeast Asia, the subcontinent, where we are raised, so many of us are raised and we're told, if you read the entire Qur'an at least once with a Qari Sahib, who just who's going to just make you just kind of read the Arabic words, and you go through it, and you know a couple of surahs like, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ وَحَدِ إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ Enough to get by in any prayer. Your obligation to the Qur'an is done. You're set. I already finished it when I was like 10, bro. Like, <laughs> and there's a Qur'an finishing party. Like, this kid finished Qur'an. Which actually means he read the Arabic of it, one end to the other, 
And that, that's something to be celebrated. And then there's the next step of it, which is some more religious families in whom, and that, that's actually trans, transpired here as well, so many expats and people from different parts of the world, I want my child to be a hafiz. Because if you want, you know we make dua to Allah, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana. Well, dunya means med school, akhira means hifz of Qur'an. If I have med school and hifz of Qur'an, my kid is set. You know, the, these, this combination, you can't go wrong. You know? And now the, the problem with that mentality is you have a huge population of young people that have memorized the entire Qur'an, and the vast majority of them have no concern for what it means, have no idea what it means, have never been told that the memorization was only a, supposed to be a means to a much larger end. Let me tell you, as a student of the Qur'an, one of the best things you can do for yourself is to memorize Qur'an. As a student of Qur'an. Why? Al-Qur'an yufassiru ba'duhu ba'da. Qur'an explains itself. You're reading something in Al-Imran, it reminds you of something in Baqarah because it's already in your heart. You didn't have to flip the pages to find it, it was already there. You're reading something in Surah Al-Shu'ara, it reminds you something from Surah Taha. And you, may, you connect the dots yourself because you're a hafiz. The purpose of memorization was so you could see how all of the book, Uhkimat ayatuhu thumma fussilat. How its ayat are tightened together, wound together, and then they're separated and explained. How it all comes together, and how these, con- these, these connections are constantly being formed. That was the purpose of the memorization of the Qur'an. The purpose of the memorization of the Qur'an was also that you stand in the middle of the night and recite, and enjoy the recitation, and just, just speak to Allah when you're reciting. You're reciting His words and you feel like He's talking to you. It wasn't about you know, perfecting your tajweed and make it sounding like the famous Qari. So you listen to his recitation over and over again so you can copy him when you lead taraweeh. It wasn't about that. That was never the point. But we reduced our relationship with the book to a very artificial one. Even to the point, I personally, and this is, you don't have to agree with me at all. And I don't care if it sounds controversial, but this is the month of Qur'an. And if we don't say it like it is in this month, I don't know when we're going to say it. We say about children or about even schools, this place we teach Qur'an. This place teaches Qur'an. It's a Qur'an school. That's not a Qur'an school. That's a memorization school. Qur'an is much more than memorization. Oh, we teach Qur'an here. Which means we just teach the reading of Qur'an here. This is a Qaeda Nuraniya school. This is a read the 30th Juz school. This is not a Qur'an school. Qur'an, teaching Qur'an is, that's one little piece of teaching Qur'an. But teaching Qur'an means that you take people from basic reading to actually an internalization and a lifelong of ref, a journey of reflection. The whole thing. I'm not saying it's just understanding and not recitation. But to take a piece of it and then call that a Qur'an education and then turn around and say, my kid knows Qur'an. Really? Your kid knows Qur'an? Can I, can I know what he knows? Can I hear what he... Just now recite something. And then you dare ask, what did, what did that mean, child? What did you just recite? خُذُوهُ فَغُلُّوهُ ثُمَّ الْجَحِيمَ صَلُّوهُ This kid is reciting beautifully. Grab him, throw him in hell, tie him in chains. And people are like, MashaAllah, oh, oh, oh. SubhanAllah. <laughs> The reciter and the listener have no idea what's going on. This is the tragedy of when you have amani, just reading. One of the meanings of this ayah, this is a crime committed with Torah by the Bani Israel. That they, they know their book with nothing but reading. That's it. That's all they know. 
لا يعلمون الكتاب إلا أماني وإنهم إلا يظنون أن above and beyond that they do nothing but make assumptions. The other assumption that happens with that group of people and then others also and we'll see that in a second is that they assume that because they fulfill these rituals, these ceremonies, that somehow they are the the, the chosen people of God. Like these are the these are the good people. These are they're better than everybody else, you know. And we create a culture in which we celebrate this kind of thing. And we give even, I think it's so unhealthy, especially for children. When children memorize Quran, it's something to be encouraged, something to, 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 to you know, be proud of. But at the same time, you don't turn those kids into trophies. And you don't say, oh, mashallah, 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 sit in the front. And you know, you just, you turn them into this like, make them feel like they're some kind of Dalai Lama sacred thing. They're not. They're just kids. You're messing them up. You know, you're creating a self-righteousness in their minds that doesn't exist. You know, and so this is done by the masses of people among the Israelites, and some of that disease has made its way into this ummah. إِنَّمَا يَقْتَصِرُونَ عَلَى مَا يُطْلَعَ عَلَيْهِمْ Ibn Taymiyyah رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ adds about that ayah. Their crime is that it's a lot of them don't even read the book. They're just happy that someone else is reciting it for them. So one, if they recite it, they have no idea what it means. Two. They just, they love listening to recitation. And wallahi al-azim, listening to recitation is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with listening to recitation. But if your relationship with the Qur'an, that's all it is, then you've got a very serious problem on your hands. Then you've reduced the book to amani. You know, that was supposed, these, all of these things are supposed to be enforcement for the larger goal. How do you know what the goal of the Qur'an is? Let the Qur'an tell you itself. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ so you can understand, so you can think deeply, so you can ponder. So this is what it's supposed to do. You know, so it can increase your iman. You hear the word of Allah and it increases you in iman because there's a picture being painted that you didn't you hadn't thought about in a while. And Allah refreshes it in your mind. So this was the tragedy of the common people. So the fir- the first challenge we saw with the book was people who edited the book. They changed what they heard. The second was people who reduced their relationship with the book to something artificial. The third is the worst. This is the third. Today, we begin with the third. فَوَيْلٌ Then, horrible destruction. The unleashing of all kinds of evils. The unleashing of tortures. The word wail, one of its interpretations in the Arabic language is قُلُولُ الشَّرْ The unleashing or the opening of the gates of harm. So Allah is about to talk about people for whom all kinds of harm has been unleashed. Like you know how we, Allah opens up His rizq on people. He's talking in this ayah about people on whom He opens up the curse of Allah. He opens up the wrath of Allah, the punishment of Allah in dunya and akhirah. That's wail. Another meaning of the wail, al-huzn, wal-halak, wal-mashakka min al-adab. Grief, death, destruction, toil, labor, resulting, as a res- resulting from torture. It's the worst kind of term. And then the Rasul of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ الْوَيْلُ وَادٍ فِي جَهَنَّمُ Wail is actually a valley in hell. يَهْوِي فِيهِ الْكَافِرْ أَرْبَعِينَ خَرِيفًا SubhanAllah. A kafir is thrown in it and he keeps falling for 40 seasons. He still hasn't hit the bottom. For 40, that's how deep wail is. And then he says, لو أرسلت فيه الجبال عن حره قبل أن تبلغ قعره. He says, if a mountain was thrown into a whale, 
that before it would reach the bottom, it would melt away. That's that's way. The ayah begins with way. Who is this horrible, horrible place in hell for? Some other narrations describe Wail is a place in hell that hell itself is afraid of. And he says, لِلَّذِينَ يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ Wail is for those who continue to write the book with their own hands. This is not the same as they change the book. That's already been mentioned. يُحَرِّفُونَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا عَقَلُوهُ They edit it even after they had understood it. That's different. Now they're not changing the book, they are what? Authoring the book. They're writing it themselves. يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ And after having written the document with their own hand, what do they say? هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ This is actually directly from Allah. And they say, you could just say, هَذَا مِنْ Allah. This is from Allah. But they say, هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ As if to guarantee you, this is exactly what Allah wants from you. Now you would think this was a problem of the Israelites back in the day. They authored some parts of the Torah and they and they did and they did that. They did that. But of course, we don't make up surahs of Quran. We don't do that. We can't possibly. Muslims can't possibly today be guilty of this crime, can we? Or is it the case that we make up stuff and then hand it to someone and say, "Recite this three thousand times, and your hair will grow back." <laughs> and do this. Put this in your car, hang it in your car, and Allah Azza wa Jal will allow you, you'll, you'll find your wallet. Or you won't even need an oil change for your motorcycle, or whatever. <laughs> Do we come up with stuff and then say that the ghayb somehow, from the ghayb, from the unseen, Allah will help because of this formula, that not, the, not Allah, not His Messenger ever gave. They never gave. You can encourage people to make dua, you can encourage people to do dhikr. But when you create a connection between what you're saying and the unseen, you cannot make, you cannot draw that connection until it is from wahi, until Allah Himself authorized that you're allowed to say this. Because when, for example, somebody says, "Read Alif Lam Mim 85 times and you won't get a car ticket," and people have, you know, this is a particular problem in a certain part of Asia. We have on our fridges Alif Lam Mim Kaf Haya Ain Saat Taha Yasin. There's a grid. And what does that do? I, I used to live in a, a place, I asked an auntie one time, I saw it many years ago, I said, auntie, what does that do? Why, why do you have that there? Well, actually, if you recite this, then the food in the fridge doesn't go bad. <laughs> I said, oh, where, where did you, where, where did that come from? Where did that come from? So it's in a book, it's in an Islamic book. How Islamic is this book? Where is this book? And then I saw another dua. This was even crazier. This was this one blew my mind. I saw this dua, and I start reading it, and it's part hadith, part an ayah, part another ayah, part a hadith, part another ayah, all mixed together. And I was like, what is that? Oh, this is a special dua. This is a dua when you really need to fix your problems. I was like, where is it from? Is this, is this mentioned in Bukhari, Muslim? Is it? I know it's not in Quran, so. Is it some other source that I don't know about? Oh no, there's this dua book. I'll show it to you. And she actually brought it and showed it to me. And this dua, I won't tell you the title because it's too epic. And because the, the Arabic actually says, Tunajina, which means you rescue us. But they read it, Tanjaina. Which I don't even know what that is. But anyway. So 
So the, the sharh of the dua, there's actually an explanation where this dua came from. I was like, okay, I will find out where this dua came from. Where did the dua come from? Well, there was a shaykh, a very sacred man. He was traveling by sea. He wanted to go to Hajj, so he was traveling by sea. Um, and on the way, there's 300 people on the boat. And on the way, there was a storm. And as the boat was rocking, the shaykh saw the Prophet ﷺ come to him and say, gather all the people and recite this. And so he gathered all the people as the boat is rocking, and they start reciting it. And they were only, and he, they were told to recite it 300 times, but they only recited it four or five times. Not only was the storm over, but their three-month journey had already been crossed. And they were already at the shores where they were supposed to be. And then at, bottom, at the bottom it explains, this is why this dua is so important. If you do it, it'll solve all your problems. Hair growth, fat loss, you know, like <laughs> eyesight problems, you, you name it. it this, this plumbing, you, you name it, it will take care of your business. This is a dua to have. So it's a must-have on your fridge. Now, the only slight problem with this story is that you cannot claim to see Rasulullah when you're awake. That's like an ijma'i issue in this ummah. He can come to you in your in your dream. And uh, that's it. And if you say that Rasulullah said this, then you're claiming that what you're saying is wahi. And when you say that, then that itself is an act of kufr. Like, because the, the doors to wahi, other than dreams, closed with Rasulullah So there's a slight problem with this boat explanation that has now become the foundation of people make this stuff up. And people take it like religion, like it's from God. Now listen to this. فَوَيْلٌ لِلَّذِينَ يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ what horrible destruction lies for those who continue to write the book with their own hands and then have the audacity to say this is especially from Allah. This is especially from Allah. Making that connection. Do this and Allah will do that. The only one who can tell you that is who? The Messenger of Allah wasallam. Make this dua, Allah will forgive your sins. Do, say this salawat, the angel will, will do this. When you say this, there's a cause and effect. This, if this, then this. If this, then this. The if part is in the seen world. The then part is in the unseen world. These sins will be forgiven. These good deeds will be written for you. Make this dua and, you know, or recite this Quran on the day of Friday. Recite kahaf and the jal will not touch you or the fitna won't touch you and protection will come to you. All of those fada'il that we know about. That the Prophet ﷺ would give us and he would remind us what their value is. He does not know that himself. He's taught this. Because this knowledge of the unseen only belongs with Allah. So nobody can come afterwards and say, if you do this and this dhikr that I just authored, that it's going to create this and this effect from the world of the unseen. You saying that is claiming to have knowledge that you don't have. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُطْلِعَكُمْ عَلَى الْغَيْبِ Allah will never be one to inform you of the unseen. Allah will not be one to tell you news of the unseen. It's, he declared that already. But you know what happens when, in, when a huge population of Muslims is ignorant of their religion, ignorant of the book of Allah, ignorant of the sanctity of revelation. Then you have people that in the name of religion turn this stuff into a business. Then people come to these holy people and say, I, can't, my, I keep having daughters, I need a son. 
what what dhikr can you give me? And he says, hold on. And then he'll like, you know, put write something, like he'll write like his favorite cartoon show's name or something. He won't even tell you what he's writing. Throw it up, throw it in a glass of water, drink this. And he'll take it out, wrap it around your arm. If you take it off, then you won't have a son. And if you do, he'll have cancer. So just... And this woman won't take it off. This woman won't take it off. Because now this to her is like wahi. This cra- and these people make a lot of money. Oh man, they make a lot of money. This becomes a business, man. This is crazy. This stuff is crazy. These people will solve my problems. Because they have access to the ghayb. This is, ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ Now let me tell you why they do this. Because you know the kinds of people that are drawn to this kind of cult mentality, those are the kind of people who can't think from this for themselves. They're easy to take a ride of, easy to take advantage of, to pull money out of. And so, لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا So they can sell this stuff they made up for a small game. It's just an industry. That's all it is, is an industry. You know? You have these sanctuaries all over the oh, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh. You have these sanctuaries. People go there. There are graves. They don't even know whose grave it is. And they're going crazy at these graves, making dua, crying there, you know, sacrificing animals there. Some even doing sajda there. And you have these like people that claim to be like God's people. Their hairs all over the place. And they're like, Allah, 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 like that. And you go, and this guy doesn't care anything about the world, and he's just lost in Allah, but his hand still sticks out for a few rupees. <laughs> if you're so lost in Allah, <laughs> how did the business side of things, that, that you don't get, you don't forget that part, you know? It's an industry. And this, this is what happens when an ummah deteriorates. And we're not the first ones to experience this. This happened before us with Banu Israel. qalila. So we're now seeing this, the phrase لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ or يَشْتَرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا twice now. Once it was they actually take revelation itself and misrepresent revelation for gain. Now this isn't even about revelation. This is about stuff they just make out of thin air. They create a religion within the religion that has nothing to do with Islam. And they create this cult following so they can keep their industry going. People, you know, Rasulullah had prevented you know, some munafiqun used to come and want to speak with the Prophet ﷺ privately. And they used to t- waste a lot of his time. But they, did, and they didn't want to talk to him. They just wanted to make it look like, you know, the Prophet pays us personal attention. It looked good for PR purposes that they came and sat next to the Prophet ﷺ. So Allah prevented that tactic of theirs and said, فَقَدِّمُوا بَيْنَ نَجْوَاكُمْ صَدَقَةً If you're going to see the Prophet ﷺ, give some sadaqah and then go sit with him. Give some sadaqah and then go sit with him. What was the purpose of the ayah? The purpose of it was he knows that the munafiqun are cheap. <laughs> so it's, if it's going to cost him a few bucks, uh, no, actually it's not that important. I'm going to go. But this wasn't even done like the Prophet ﷺ is so sacred. And in order to come in his company, you better give a donation before you get access to it. No, 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 no. This was done to prevent who? Munafiqeen. From seeing Rasulullah ﷺ. And even in the very next ayah, you know, Allah Azza wa Jalla says, and if you can't afford it, it's okay. فَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَأَعْتُوا الزَّكَاءَ Establish prayer and give zakah. You know? So, even in the Qur'an, Rasulullah doesn't have an entrance fee, man. He doesn't have, you don't have to pay special access and then you get to talk to him and he'll make dua for you or whatever. But this became, this became like an alternative to the medical industry. People go to them for, for prescription. You know? People go to them for healing. 
And so, لِيَشْتَرُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا And then look at the last part. فَوَيْلٌ لَهُمْ مِمَّا كَتَبَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ Then, horrible destruction. Wail once again. That's the second time. For these people. Because of what their hands wrote. Obviously, nobody writes with their feet. So why say, their hands wrote? If Allah says, فَوَيْلُ اللَّهُمْ مِمَّا كَتَبُوا What they wrote. Everybody knows you write with your hands. Why does Allah add, كَتَبَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ The same reason He says, تَقُولُونَ بِأَلْسِنَتِكُمْ You know, you say with your tongues. يَقُولُونَ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ They say with their mouths. Everybody says with their mouth. Nobody speaks with their elbows. Why does he add mouth? Why does he say write with the hand? Why they wrote with their own hands? This is actually how you speak when you're extremely angry. In virtually every language. You're going to talk to me with that mouth? What just came out of your mouth? You did this with your own hands? When you talk like that, (laughs) that's an unusual level of rage. That is not a normal thing to say. You know? This is the doing of your hands? You let your hands do this? مِمَّا كَتَبَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ And then he concludes it with another wail. وَوَيْلٌ لَهُمْ مِمَّا يَكْسِبُونَ And then wail, which I've already described to you, the ultimate destruction, the worst of all, because of what they've earned, what they keep earning. In other words, Allah is telling us twice in this ayah that all this, this whole thing is actually built around the idea of industry, manipulation of people. This is actually, some people study this stuff and they actually, they run it like a business. And they don't, you don't have to go to sanctuaries and like temples and places like that, you know, and grave sites to see this business. People will come to your home, man. Start a halaqa. And they, they have a tactic, let me tell you. Some of you might even have fallen prey to it. They'll come, they'll talk about Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam and they will remind you of how bad you are, how you're a sinner, and how you've just, you're just going to hell, and how you've forgotten about Allah, and you're not grateful, and they particularly like to make sure women are sitting, women of the home are sitting in these halaqat. And for three hours, people are sitting there crying, I'm so messed up. <laughs> Thank you, you opened my heart. And he won't ask for anything. Let's say next week. Then a few weeks of this, and then they'll offer food. And they say, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Sheikh, we notice you never eat anything. It's okay, I don't want to talk to you about my problems. You have problems, Sheikh? No, no, it's okay, it's okay. Let's just talk about how bad you are. <laughs> no, Sheikh, this is from us. Please take it, please, please, please. And slowly, guys, he didn't even have to ask. You just start. And he said, no, 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 I'm not asking, I'm not asking. No, 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 please don't. And his, they're just loading it up, filling it up. And they're, they, this cult following, just, this guy makes bank out of these people, man. I've seen it happen. I've seen these guys in action. And they particularly prey upon the, the, the you know, especially women that have like depression and low self-esteem and that kind of thing. And then they prey on them. And what, what else did they do? Now people are coming to them, telling them the most personal details of their family life. What should I name my child? Should I get this job? You know, things about your husband or your wife that you should not be saying to anybody. And you, what the shaykh will tell me. That is the ultimate level of corruption, these people. They're the filth of Muslim society. These manipulators. 
You know, they, they, they take advantage of the vulnerabilities of people and the ignorance of people. That's what Allah highlights. Wail for them for what they earn. Counseling people, trying to help people in their personal life is a thing of beauty. It's, some, it's, a, it's an act of sincerity. But when that's turned into an industry of manipulation, shame on these people. And so he says, وَقَالُوا And these people then turn around, after doing all of these crimes, لَن تَمَسَّنَ النَّارِ إِلَّا أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودًا at least you admit it, there's a fire. We're making progress. They said the fire won't touch us except for days that may be counted. Meaning easy to count days. Ma'duda is not used in Arabic for like if you see like a pile of rocks, it's not ma'duda. Ma'duda means you can see it with your eyes and tell how many. Like you can count on your hand. Oh, there's six cars in the lot. If the parking lot is full, they're not sayyarat ma'duda. If there's four or five cars in the parking lot, this is ma'duda. Because you can easily just see immediately and tell how many, okay? They say, hell won't touch us, the fire won't touch us, except for just a handful of days. Nothing. Now in this, somehow squeezed out of all of the incriminating, I mean the list of crimes began a long time ago in Bani Israel, after hearing all of this, they say, okay, you know what, yes, yes. Yeah, okay, so what? Yeah, we're messed up a little bit, so what? And yeah, we didn't accept your messenger, even though we know he's a messenger. Allah might be angry about that, but not that angry. You don't know how many favors he's done to us. He'll do another favor. Even if he gets angry, it'll be temporary. He'll cool off and then we'll be back in heaven again. Of course, as I say this, I should probably not draw attention to any behavior of Muslims that may have similar attitudes at all. Because we don't ever think that we're going to be in hell just for a little bit because Allah loves us too much and then we're just going to be in Jannah anyway. Or do we? Allah is highlighting this because this is a sickness. People lean on it and say, I mean, come on, oh fine, fine. Allah will be upset. I might be thrown in the barbecue for just a bit. But He'll take me out. He'll take me out. I won't be there that long. Guys, don't, you don't know what you're saying when you say that. You really don't know what you're saying. I'm going to come back to what, what Allah says to the Muslims about this issue. But first let me tell you where this idea came from. Uh, in the research of Ibn Ashur rahimahullah on this matter, he commented after studying the Torah, he said, وَقَدْ أَمِنُوا مِنَ الْمُؤَاخَذَةِ إِلَّا أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودًا They felt safe from any kind of accountability that Allah will hold them to account and punish them except for a few days. تُعَادِلُوا أَيَّامَ عِبَادَةِ الْعِجْلِ That was in the number of days that they worshipped the calf, that's how many days that we're going to get punished. So if we were out, if we were messed up for like 40 days, 30 days, 20 days, 15 days, 5 days, that's how long it's going to be. I mean, we already did that crime, and that's the one Allah was really mad about, but He's been okay since. He gets mad, but not that mad. That was the big one. And then He adds, أَوْ أَيَّامًا عَنْ كُلِّ أَلْفِ سَنَةٍ مِّنَ الْعَالَمِ يَوْمٍ Or they say, for every thousand years of this life, one day. And then they say, وَإِنَّ ذَلِكَ عَذَابٌ مَكْتُوبٌ عَلَى جَمِيعِهِمْ Listen to this Jewish theology that was developed. What was developed was the Jewish people are allowed to sin whatever they want. Sin away, do whatever you want. And Allah will collect the sins of all of Jewish society, and then He will punish them one day every thousand years. All of them, men, women, children, all of them. He'll just let His anger out on one day, and then let them go another thousand years. So when a major catastrophe would happen with the Jewish people, like they would be exiled or invaded or massacred, then they'd say, oh, this is one of those one in thousand years. Now we can go, ugh, 
Another 999.9 years off. Yes. Because we paid the price. So they had this their own concept of justice, like bucket justice, right? You just you mess up for a thousand years, and by the way, if you mess up for a thousand years, it doesn't it seem like Allah is punishing people that came much later for crimes that happened much before? Is that even justice? But they devised this twisted concept and we're we're all completely okay with it. And that's actually what helps you understand later on in the Quran. They say, Yawaddu Ahaduhum Lau Al-Fasana. They, each of them wishes they could live a thousand years. Why a thousand years? Because anything over a thousand years, that one day is coming. <laughs> so right up to a thousand years, and then before the punishment gets here, I can die. I'll be fine. Allah says, He will not be getting away from the punishment even if he lived that long. And if he was given that extension. Here Allah says they have this attitude, they won't end up in hell except for just a few days. Allah asked the, the angry question, قُلْ أَتَّخَذْتُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عَهْدًا have you taken a promise with Allah? Have you gotten this guarantee from Allah that you just said? فَلَنْ يُخْلِفَ اللَّهُ عَهْدَهُ And as a result of that promise, Allah will not be going back on His promise? Please, show it to me. Which chapter of Torah? Is it in Genesis? Is it in Exodus? Where is it? Which of the five books? What of your Torah tells you that you are saved from the fire of hell? You even erased, erased all mention of hell. So for you to come out and say this is actually yet another يَكْتُبُونَ الْكِتَابَ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ Just making it up on your own. Or then Allah calls them out directly and says أَمْ تَقُولُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Or are you attributing things to Allah that you have no knowledge of? Are you saying things on behalf of God that you know, know nothing about? Is that the case with you? Because if not, bring forward. Bring something forward. Now when you challenge people like that, what do they bring forward? Clearly they can't bring forward Allah's book. Because there's nothing in Allah's book that justifies this. They can't bring forward the teachings of a prophet. You know what they can bring forward? Are you challenging our shaykh? Because who do you think you are? And so they can hide behind their, their ahbar, their rabbaniyin, you know, their qisisin, their priests, their rabbis. And this, if this cult disease enters into this ummah and someone challenges and says, bring forward some evidence, people can say, well actually my, my shaykh is the evidence. He has a maqam, he's reached a certain spiritual state in his faith that he doesn't have to, he is evidence. <laughs> he doesn't need a book, he is a book. You know? And this, this silliness, this popification of people is not something Allah ever allowed subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never. Never did he take people and consider them so sacred and so close to Allah that they can't, they're even beyond criticism. You go there and like the mafia, they put forward their hands and you... Which prophet? Which prophet did this? Which sahabi did this? And those are much better people than anybody that came after them. This kind of sanctification of people, to consider them in these maqamat, this is all a new invention. And actually, I argue not that new. This is something that afflicted the people who came before us. It happened with the Jews. It happened with the Christians. I've seen it. I go to the store. They're, they're uh, Coptic Christians there. And one time their priest came into the store. Um, and man, the guy is very devout, right? So he, he, the guy gathered his groceries, brought them to the counter. But the guy at the counter, who's a, obviously an ardent follower, a worshiper, he grabs his hand and kisses him for like five minutes. I'm waiting to buy my stuff. And he's still smooching. Like, he's not, because he's, 
He's got to get all the blessings, you know. And then when he's done, the guy just, <laughs> you know, gets a discount. We shouldn't be doing this. And I argue I'm a victim of it myself. This is so widespread. It's so widespread that people literally, they see me and say, huh? MashaAllah, brother, can you just pat your hand on my child's head? What, why? Is there a new shampoo you tried with him that you want me to... Like, what? Why do you want me to... Can you just make some dua for him and... On him? What do you think I am? I'm on YouTube, dude. It's not a... I'm on Facebook. It's not that... But we, we have this mentality that's been brought down onto us. That anybody who teaches anything about the deen must be some kind of half floating in the air saint thing that... And you know, I used to... i tell you something about my youth a long time ago. I used to wear like... I used to have a much longer beard, a thobe, and sometimes a turban. The whole nine yards. I completely stopped wearing it for a long time. You know why? Every time I give a khutbah, what would happen afterwards? People treat you like the Pope, man. Shake your hand and... What are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> you know? Because it, you look like someone from a different time. So you must be like somehow sanctified and holy and we need to get the blessings. This is silly. It's silly. We respect teachers, we respect scholars, and the love and appreciation I get, I really, it humbles me. It really does. But at the end of the day, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ قَوْلًا مِمَّنْ دَعَا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالْ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Who could be better than someone who tries to call people to Allah, tries to do good deeds, and at the end of the day says, no doubt I am from within the Muslims. I am part of, I'm not above the Muslims. I'm one of them. Meaning the things I'm trying to preach to you are not some problems that you have and I don't have. If I'm talking about taqwa, that doesn't mean my taqwa problems have already been solved. If I'm talking about iman, that doesn't mean I have iman already, you guys need help. That's not what that means. I'm reminding myself and reminding all of you. We are in the boat together. So this idea of you know overly sanctifying religious leadership, it created such a problem in Banu Israel. And now today, we are in danger of that extreme, right? So on the one hand, you have this one extreme of sanctifying people of religion, and on the other, people get turned off from deen, and they won't, don't even give like normal human decency and respect to people of religion, because they think they're all corrupt and they're all the same. We don't have any middle ground, no civility left. What is the reality of this idea? Are we, is the fire really not going to touch us, except for a few days? Allah says, Bala, not at all. No, 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 on the contrary. مَنْ كَسَبَ سَيِّئَةً Whoever were to earn a single sin وَأَحَاطَتْ بِهِ خَطِيئَتُهُ And his mistake surrounded him. His mistake surrounded him. فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ Those are the companions of fire. Those are the people of fire in which they will remain. Now in this ayah, I'll tell you, I used to hold a particular view based on my reading. My view has completely changed. So I'll share with you what I used to hold and I've talked about before and now I'm disagreeing with myself. Because my own journey in Qur'an is one of rediscovering. My view originally was, and it was taught this way to me also, 
was that this ayah is saying whoever earns a single sin and then they get addicted to that sin. They cannot let go of that sin. They keep on doing the same sin over and over and over again. Then Allah says those are people of hell in which they will remain. Somebody has the sin of backbiting. They don't let go of it. They just have this thing. They can't help it. They don't even realize they're doing it. They do it over and over again. Salah is there. Zakah is there. Hajj is there. Everything is there. But they did not let go of this one sin. Therefore, Allah is saying, فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ Because you're supposed to give up your sin. Right? I now hold a different view about this ayah. Allahu A'lam, I don't believe that previous view is correct. What I hold about this ayah, and Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah, I'm grateful to him, rahimahullah, for commenting on this even briefly, because it really opened my eyes on the subject. He says, pay attention to the words, أَحَاطَتْ بِهِ خَطِيئَتُهُ His mistake surrounded him. It took a hold of him. When something surrounds you, it's not just something inside you, it's not just something you touch, it's everywhere you see. It envelops you. In other words, this is talking about someone, let me give you a practical example so you understand what's being said here. Somebody is addicted to, I don't know, stealing. And they, don't, they can't let go of the habit. They feel bad about it, they make toba. they try to help themselves, they're going to therapy for it. They're going to rehab for it. They're working on it. It's a work in progress. Somebody has a drinking problem. Drinking is not easy to give up. So they're in you know, some kind of support group. They're in Alcoholics Anonymous. They're talking to a counselor. They're dealing with an imam. There's been a few months they've been able to kick the bottle. Every once in a while they, they fall back. But then they realize they're doing something wrong. They try to get away from it again. There are people in the struggle. There are actual people in the world, Muslims, that are going through the struggle now. right? Something depressing happened in their life and they just... They got into it and they, now they can't get out of it. But the fact that the sin surrounded them means that not only are they making this mistake, over time nobody likes to feel bad. Like long term, guilt is not something people like to live with. I don't want to feel ashamed of drinking anymore. So I'm going to say, what's so bad about it anyway? Yeah, I drink, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I know it's bad, but it's not that bad. And then they take a next step. Well, it's not even that bad. There are so many health benefits. And then they take the next step. Why do we have to follow this old law about drinking? That had to do with some other time. This doesn't have to do with our time. There's nothing wrong with drinking nowadays. I'm in complete control when I drink. I don't have a problem. I'm not an addict. Then they take a next step. Who needs law, Islamic law anyway? Who needs Sharia anyway? The, all religions are made up anyway. One step to the next, to the next, to the next. All because of what one sin? Drinking. There's one sin in order to be... You can't let go of this, so you're willing to let go of the religion for it. Slowly but surely, you're just letting go of the entire religion because you don't want to let go of the sin. You know? And so this, and this for a lot of people, the reason they start doubting Islam is actually because of their addiction to sin. Some boy will call me and say, yeah, I don't believe in Islam anymore. I'll say, what's her name? I never told you about, yeah, you didn't tell me. What's her name? I can't tell you. Okay, so there is a her. My parents said I can't marry her. I've been dating her for a few years. They keep telling me it's haram. I'm tired of hearing that it's haram. Who needs haram anyway? You know, it's because of this haram business that I don't have a good relationship with my parents. 
and, and haram came from Islam. Islam is the reason my parents are messed up towards me and I can't be with my girlfriend. So who needs Islam? It surrounded him entirely. They were willing to change their view of God, their view of religion, their view of revelation, because they can't let go of the sin. That's what this ayah is talking about. Those are the people of fire in which they will remain. And why do we why am I more convinced of this position? Because there's a mughayara and there's a muqarana. It's called it's actually called in ikas in Arabic, reflection, contrast. The very next ayah is a contrast. If you read the ayah on its own, it seems like a very plain, simple ayah. Nothing to it. Very simple ayah. Those who believed, those who did the, did the few good deeds asked of them, those are the people of heaven, those are the people of Jannah, the garden, in which they will remain. Seems like a straightforward enough ayah. But if you contrast it, there were two things mentioned. They believe and they do good deeds. The contrast of that is they disbelieve and do evil deeds. Isn't it? If you say believe and good belief and good deeds, the opposite would be what? Disbelief and evil deeds. But the previous ayah doesn't say, Bala man kafara wa amila sayyiat That's not what Allah said. Allah talked about one sin that took a hold of him. What are we learning from it? We're learning about that one sin that ruined his iman. The contrast is not with you know, with, with uh, you know, one mistake to one good deed. The contrast is this mistake that surrounded him ruined his faith altogether. And then ruined as a result his chances of doing any other good deeds. It burnt away all of his good deeds. It took a hold of him. It wrapped him up. Like drugs, like alcohol, like zina. These are the kinds of sins that can take over a person's life, like drugs. They can just take over a person's life. And everything will be gone. Everything will get burnt away. And so, this, by, by contrast, you understand the ayat of Qur'an. Look at how, if you study the ayat on its own, and if you study it in its context, what a difference it makes. On its own, it just says, they believe, they do good deeds, they go to Jannah, which has a meaning. But it, by putting it in its context, you understand what the previous ayah meant. Now in these last 10 or so minutes, I want to share with you one of the most beautiful ayat, summarizing the entire sharia of Bani Israel. The entire law given to the Israelites. Summarized in just one ayah. Look at what Allah says. وَإِذَا خَذْنَا مِثَاقَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ When we had taken the binding contract, the thing that tied them, tied the children of Israel. When we had taken that agreement that ties them to Allah. لَا تَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ You will not be worshipping anyone other than Allah. This is not in the form of nahi. Arabic grammar students here know. Allah did not say, لَا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا اللَّهِ Don't worship anyone other than Allah. Literally said, you will not be worshipping anyone other than Allah. What's the difference? Your, your son wants to go to a party. There's two, way of saying it, two ways of saying it. Don't go. Or, you are not going. When you say, don't go, that's also stopping him. But when you say, you are not going, period. You didn't prohibit. You made a statement of fact. He could turn around and say, actually, I, I am. But he understands, if he's not stupid, that when you said, you are not going, what does that mean? There's no possibility for you to step out of this house and keep your legs. <laughs> That's not happening. You know, you could say, don't smoke, or you could say, there is no smoking here. 
Which one is harsher? There's no smoking. You understand? So if Allah said, don't worship anyone other than Allah, that's prohibiting. But when He says, there, you will not be worshipping except Allah. That's actually, and that's said to a kind of people who are criminals of, you know, of the past, that have worshipped other than Allah in the past. And so after He says that to them, He has to turn them into human beings again. Remember, لَا تَعَثَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُفْسِدِينَ They went wild. And their civility will come back. One, they restore their relationship with Allah. And two, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا And with both parents, you better have excellence. And it's amazing that Allah Azza wa Jal here did not say, وَأَحْسِنُوا بِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا أَوْ تُحْسِنُونَ بِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا You will be doing good with parents. He didn't say that. He said, with both parents, excellence. One word. Think about when someone gives you instructions in a sentence, and when someone gives you instruction with one word, kindly stop writing, or stop. Which is stronger? Stop. Please go outside. Go. Go is much stronger. When it comes to both, he says, with both parents, excellence. And this is alal iqra. That's why I'm saying it out loud. Why? As if Allah is saying. I don't want to hear it. Nothing short of your best when it comes to both parents. Ihsanan. And Ihsanan also means to give them their rights. I'll only say one thing about the extremes on both ends. I talked about it last night, but I'll summarize it now. Two extremes that exist on this subject. People tend to be abusive. People tend to take the religion not to serve Allah, but to serve themselves. And so this can also be done by parents. Parents can say, Ah, Quran says, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا Now do as I tell you. Take all of your savings, put it in my account. Don't give it to your wife, don't give it to your children. No, 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 you don't need the car, give me the car. Don't give it to your family. Listen to your parents. I know you're 35 years old, but you still can't get married, you haven't made enough money for me yet. وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا Parents can be greedy and selfish, it's possible, and abuse their children in the name of Allah's book. It's possible. On the flip side of it, of course, what you've heard your entire life, children who don't care to do good by their parents, despite how seriously Allah put their rights. But Allah did not give them absolute rights. Allah did not allow any human being to justify abusing another human being. He did not. You know, you had in the case of, there's a famous story of a, of a, 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 a man who came to the Prophet ﷺ complaining about his son who doesn't give him, who doesn't take care of him, or complaining that his son is not a good son to him. And when the son came, Rasulullah looks at him and says, Anta wa maluka liyabika. You and your money belongs to your dad. That's, whoa, 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 what did he just say? Now some fathers in the audience are gonna make sure they find this video <laughs> and take this one clip that says, you and your money belong to your dad. You listen to that son? You know? <laughs> This is my favorite Islamic lecture of all time. <laughs> What's the full story? Rasulullah describes a father who take care, takes care of his son. The son doesn't even return his salams, doesn't even open the door before him, has completely abandoned him, speaks ill of him. And actually the father didn't want to say it. The father came to the Prophet and said, I have a good son, he takes care of me. And Rasulullah saw right through him and said, tell me what's really going on. And then he started telling him some of these things. Then he called that abusive, ridiculous son. 
and said, you, you need to pay back. You and your money belong to your dad. That wasn't a universal for all sons. That was for that idiot son that was not taking care of his father, who had done wrong by his father, who had taken his father's wealth too. What about the rest of us? We have to take care of our parents when they're in financial need, absolutely. When they're in need of health, when they're in need of company, when they're in need of our love, when they reach old age, we're not supposed to abandon them and leave them alone, not get annoyed with them, take care of them, etc. All of that is true. All of that is true. But not according to what they set, according to what Allah and His Messenger set. Your relationship with people, your rights and responsibilities are not determined by you or them. They are determined by Allah and His Messenger You know what happens between people is no matter how much you do for your wife, she'll still say, you don't do anything for me. No matter how much you do for your father or your mother, what are they going to say? I wish you were a good son. It's, very, it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to make people happy. Isn't that a case in life? So then how are you ever going to have ihsan to your parents? You have to have ihsan to your parents, not by their standard, but, but by... Allah's standard and your own conscience. Did I do the very best that I could? And did I do for them without wronging anybody else? If you're doing ihsan to your parents and starving your children or depriving them of their rights or your spouse of their of her rights or of his rights in, your, in women's cases, women want to do right by their parents and they're just ignoring their husband, then you're not doing ihsan to your parents. Because Allah didn't say, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا Full stop. وَذِلْقُرْبَى and closest relations, ihsan for them too. Yes, parents take priority, but other relationships too. You cannot, it's not awdhil qurba or thumma dhil qurba. When you're done with parents and they're totally happy, then think about your wife, then think about your. No, 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 no. You have to think about them at the same time. There's a why here. It's not at the same level though. So why isn't it at the same level? There are lots of explanations. Listen to one of them. Every other relationship you have, Every other relationship you have is one in which you are responsible over others. The close relationships you have other than parents. What are those relationships? The spouse, the children, fundamentally. The spouse and the children, right? Or siblings even. You are in some way going to do good towards them. You, owe, you are responsible for them. And in some way or the other, they may be dependents on you. But your parents, that's the only relationship were absolutely 100% you were entirely dependent on them. And your the rest of your life, you're paying them back for what they did for you. Right? It's actually returning the ihsan that they had done to you. And so, that you can never pay back. So you'll have to give it back with ihsan. You'll have to do the very best you can. With everything else, there's also khayr. But not at the level of those who've done you a favor. And nobody's done you a bigger favor than your parents who brought you into this world. Who Allah, whose suffering Allah made, and who the father whose financial and, and labor sacrifices allowed you to grow up, the mother who physically toiled and bled to bring you into this world, there's no way you can pay them back. You're gonna you're gonna owe them your entire life, and even that's not enough. But that does not give you permission and does not leave you the room to do wrong by everybody else, and it does not turn your parents into dictators. It doesn't. Allah does not allow zulm in this deen. So now, وَذِلْ qurba And close relatives also. Now that you've taken care of the close family, now you look in your community. وَالْيَتَامَ The Israelites were told, take care of the orphans. 
How are you supposed to know who's an orphan? I'm only going to talk about this. I won't finish the ayah today. Just I'll leave it at the orphan. How are you supposed to know, back in the day, who's an orphan? There is no ad for a relief organization that's showing you pictures of orphans. You people were living in a local community. They're going and they're praying in the masjid. Unless you talk to people when you pray. You get to know them. They get to know you. You get to know their families. You get to know their children. You invite them to your home. You go to their home. Until that happens, you don't know who the yatim is. If you just come to the masjid, say salam to somebody and go, put your shoes on and go. There is no relationships being created. There's no invitations happening. People aren't personally getting to know each other in a community. When that happens, will you ever know who the yatim is? No. And you know when you don't know who the needy are in your community, you know what Allah calls you? Allah calls you jahil. يَحْسَبُهُمُ الْجَاهِلُ أَغْنِيَاءَ مِنَ التَّعَفُّفِ The jahil thinks they don't need. There's a yatim coming, there's a marid coming, there's a miskeen coming to our masjid. He's praying here. He's looking for a job for a year. He's not going to put a sticker here looking for a job. He's not going to wear a baseball hat that says yatim on top. You're only going to know if you get to know people personally. This is why Rasulullah says, Afshu salam. Wa at'imu ta'am. There's a logical connection. Spread salam and feed food. Why? Because when you say salam, you get introduced to somebody. Once you get introduced, you should what? Invite them over. Get to know them better. Then you know who's where, who, what family. They'll be here. It's a tragedy in our ummah today. You hear about the death in a family. This brother passed away, make dua. But if they passed away, there must be a yatim. Right? Who is that yatim? And we're supposed to have ihsan towards the yatim. Take care of them. How are you doing? How's it feeling? You must be really lonely. You know, you're holding up okay. You know, you haven't eaten in a couple of days. Who's going to check on him? I mean, we prayed. A thousand people paid janazah for this brother who nobody knows. His son was standing there crying. His daughter was standing there crying. Then they went back home and they disappeared from our life. They don't exist for us anymore. Allah says, just like your parents deserve ihsan, just like the close relations deserve ihsan, the yatim deserves ihsan. But you cannot give the yatim ihsan until you create an actual community. Until the masjid becomes a place like it used to be in the time of the Prophet This is what waliyatama. Then by extension al-masakin. Allah puts the most needy first. Inshallah ta'ala will continue this conversation tomorrow. Barakallahu li walakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Is there any tuition ever for like students from like us?